Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Happy 4th of July. That wasn't very vociferous. Happy 4th. Do you know what our birthday number is today? 245 years. Give God a hand. Since we only have one service, I thought I might go longer today. (laughs) Not really. We'll we'll play it by ear here. Uh, What a great day. What a great day. I get the privilege of uh, speaking on the 4th of July on a Sunday, which doesn't happen very often. I just, I'm curious. Who here are first service people? Stand your feet. If you're first service people, you, you come first service. Okay, second service, look around. You didn't even know they came to church. (laughs) Look at that. Okay, you may sit down. Now, uh, all of you who are second service people, would you stand? Okay. Okay, you're the ones that sleep in a little later, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Congratulations. All right? So, what what I suggest today is that you... uh, you introduce yourself to somebody who's from the other service and find out more about them. I think you'll find them to be wonderful. Well, we had an interesting week. Tracy and Garrison had a baby boy. Uh, his name is, are you ready? I have to get my notes out here. <laughs> it's a long name. Okay, Declan August Kessler Wild Pace. And it's Dak for short. And there he is. Number 10. And he's a, he's a sweet boy. He's looking right at you. Why do they do that with babies? You know, you know, poor little guys. All right. All right, we're going to do, do some things. This is 4th of July. This is my kind of day. As you know, this is a little bit of my wheelhouse. And I love the 4th of July. I love the Bible. I love the kingdom of God. You put them all together and you have... Heaven on earth. I want us to do something. I want us to stand and do the Pledge of Allegiance. Your hand goes over your heart. Ready? Begin. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You may be seated. I'm going to quote from the sixth president of the United States. Anyone know who that is? John Quincy Adams. Thanks, Stan. Good job. This is what he said on July 4th, 1837. Why is it that next to the birthday of the Savior of the world, your most joyous and most venerated festival returns on this day, the 4th of July? 
He goes on and says, Is it not that in the chain of human events, the birthday of a nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior? That it forms a leading event in the progress of the gospel dispensation? Is it not that the Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission upon earth? That it laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. You guys are going to have to keep, keep up with me today, okay? You're going to have to think a little too, okay? Um, I had to take about 150 books in my library and bring them down into ability to speak about 35 minutes. How do you do that? The Lord gave me a thought, though, and I'm going to try to do this today in a way that uh, will hopefully bring some edification to you. So the Lord spoke to me and said, talk about the power of a seed. Well, what does that have to do with 4th July? You'll see. Father, we pray right now. Holy Ghost anointing, divine impartation, revelation, Lord, that you would give to us today that we would never see the 4th of July the same again. Lord, turn our hearts towards you in Jesus' name. Amen. Creation starts in the book of Genesis. God creates Adam, and on the sixth day, and he puts him in a garden. His first assignment, the first man on, on the earth, his first assignment is to tend the garden. Watch over it, nurture it. There's no sin yet, so there are no weeds. So what does he have to do? There's no enemies to contend with. Well, what's in a garden? Trees, plants, seeds. We know they're trees because God names them. Tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I told you my story a few weeks ago. Early on in the history of our church, I was uh, sleeping one night. God does a lot of things to me when I'm sleeping. I'm sleeping one night, and all of a sudden, he gives me a Hebrew word. I, I just knew it was a Hebrew word in my dreams, and I actually saw it spelled in everything. The next morning, I, I get up and go quickly. I wasn't a great Hebrew scholar, so I want to know what this word meant. I went to the Strong's Concordance. If you don't know what a Strong's Concordance is, find out. You need to know what a Strong's Concordance is. I went to the Strong's Concordance, and I looked in the Hebrew and found out that Sarah can either be spelled Z or S-E-R-A-H, means seed. Now, when God gives you a word in another language in your dreams, you better take it seriously. And I began to understand in those early days, even of the life of this church, that the word seed was very important. The New Testament word for seed is spermata. So I got this idea that God thinks seeds are very important. Genesis is called the seed book of the Bible. Everything in the world, everything in our lives, everything in the Bible itself starts in the book of Genesis. There is a seed that leads to every principle in the Bible. So what are seeds? I decided I'd go on a, on a hunt this week about seeds. So I researched, I studied, what are seeds? What are the significance of seeds? Well, you find out Genesis chapter 1, verse 11. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit, according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. Now, let me explain that to you. Seeds are used to express what initiates and reproduces all living things. All living things are made up of cells and the products of those cells. 
Like kind, according to scripture, like kind produces like kind. It's a law. It's just like the law of gravity. New cells come from other living cells. The seed is in the fruit, and the fruit is in the seed. All, ce all cells carry their own life functions. Everything a tree or, or plant will be is present in the seed of that tree or plant. That to me is just mind-boggling. If it isn't to you, may it be to you. I found this scripture. This is, this is a powerful scripture that I found. In Isaiah 46.10, it says, Declaring out of the beginning the end, and out of ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. This scripture is saying, God is saying, that in a beginning, or a, in a seed, is the end, the fruit, and the destiny. God compacts in a seed all life functions to enable life to continue and fruit to happen. The principle of the seed is this, declaring from the beginning the end. Luke, I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures here. Come on, stay up with me. Luke 8, 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So it interprets what that is. Genesis 1:22 and God blessed them saying be fruitful and multiply fill the waters and the seas and let let birds multiply on the earth. Genesis 1:26 Then God said let us make man in our image according to our likeness let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air over the cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. A lot of creepers. <laughs> all those little bugs you know the creep Genesis 1.28, then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This word multiplication has always been something that has really tagged my spirit. How do you multiply? By planting seed. That's how you multiply. And what God was saying to Adam and Eve is plant a seed. Naturally, spiritually, what comes from the planting of a seed? Trees, plants, blessing, spiritual life. You see, it, it works, seeds work just as much in our spiritual existence as it does in the natural. First the natural, then the spiritual. You'll see it in, the na in nature, you'll see it in the natural, but it works also in the spiritual. If you want fruitfulness in an area, plant a seed of that. It's always like, kind. If you want love, plant love. If you want peace, plant peace. If you want friendship, plant some friendship. It always will come because it's in like, kind. You, you with me? Genesis eight twenty two. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. God is saying, seed time and harvest shall not cease. As long as there is the earth, you will have seed time and harvest. What does that mean? The law is in effect as long as there is the earth. That when you plant a seed, you will get fruit. I've just been amazed. We, we planted some tomato plants. And these little green things are starting to appear. It's a miracle to me. Because I love tomatoes. When I was in my, in my late teens, I worked with my grandfather, who at the time was 80 years old. He had his own tire shop. He asked me to come one summer and work with him. I lived with him, and every, every night after work, after working hard in the tire shop, I'd go out in his tomato plant garden, and I would stand and take my the tomato with an iced tea with tomatoes, and I would cut them open and eat them. Like in the garden, I didn't need salt or sugar or whatever you guys put on these things. Just give me a tomato. Well, I've got some tomatoes because guess what? We planted a seed. God's rule that will never cease is that the principle of the seed shall be inserted in every arena of God's kingdom 
and in our lives. There will be sowing and reaping. This law of seed time and harvest operates in every area of our lives. Plant the seed, allow the seed to germinate, nurture the plant to grow to maturity, and reap the fruit of a harvest. That's what we do. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Come on, look at that. You cannot, this, if this is something you cannot get away. You can run from it, but it'll catch you. Whatever you reap, you will sow. If you reap anger, you will sow it. Or if you sow it, you will reap it. In all, all areas of your life, whatever you sow will come back to you in reaped form in fruitfulness, be it good or bad. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 2 Corinthians 9, 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. He's speaking of that naturally and spiritually. Matthew 15, 13, but he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted shall be uprooted. Proverbs 1, 31, therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. I'm talking about good and bad seed now. You need to, you need to catch this. So here are the principles. I hope you're still with me. I'm going someplace with this. So a principle here is seeds produce new life. Seeds may look like a small grain of sand, but out of a seed comes a tree or a flower or a, a, some kind of vegetable or, or a, another plant. The power of that seed is not limited to that one plant because then that plant produces more seeds and more plants. One apple seed can produce hundreds of apple orchards in time. Shane, bring it up here. Cut it open. Cut it open for me. We have an apple. Oh, it's got a seed. Can you take that seed out? Ah, two of them popped out. Now, you probably can't see this, but this, this is a seed in my hand. Look how tiny it is. This can produce, in time, over maybe scores of years, orchards. Orchards. And they'll all be apples. They won't be peaches. Come on, you got to start thinking. And I'm, I'm telling you natural things, but come on, put on your spiritual hat. If, if you will sow all kinds of righteous seed, you'll get an orchard of righteousness. In time, you will have trees everywhere. Thanks. I'm glad you didn't cut yourself. Yeah. That's why I didn't want to do it. I don't know, I'm, I'm just amazed at what seeds do. 1 Peter 1.23 says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, by the living and enduring word of God. Guess what? You were put together by a seed. Yep, that's right. Everyone in this, in this room is the product of a seed. Bunch of seeds, you... It's true. Seed produces life. Now, the next thing you have to understand, seeds produce life, but secondly, seeds must be planted. I know that's, this is just really profound today. I know that. The only way for a seed to release its creative power is for it to be planted. It cannot release its creative power unless it goes in the ground. It must be worked into the ground. The Bible says then it dies 
and is born again with new life, just like Jesus. A seed is an example of Jesus himself. Now get this, seeds are weak and powerful. The seed is weak, it's small. It can be crushed. In fact, it can be eaten by a bird. But when it's buried, the power of life is released, tremendous changes occur, and creative strength begins. I don't know if, you, if you've ever walked on streets that have old trees, but it's possible that the root system of that tree actually uprooted, in a sense, the concrete slabs. I remember this in Washington, D.C., these old trees next to our prayer center. We, you had to watch when you walk, walked on the sidewalk because it was very irregular because the root system had caused this incredibly strong concrete slab to buckle. A seed. I want this to sink in today. So never underestimate the power of a seed. Want to see a miracle? Take a seed the size of a freckle, put it under several inches of dirt, given enough water, light, fertilizer, and get ready, for a mountain will be moved. You see, it doesn't matter that the ground above the seed is a zillion times its weight. A zillion times the weight of that seed, the seed will all always push it back and win. Dreamers around the world plant tiny hopes and seeds in overturned soil, and every spring their hopes press against impossible odds, and they blossom, and life is created. Want to see a miracle? Plant a seed. Now, Still with me? We'll just turn that clock off, okay? I believe a seed was planted in the ground of hearts for this nation to come forth. This nation is the result of a seed. The power of a seed. Several centuries and actually millenniums go by between Adam and 1500 or so A.D. Nations are grouped into at that point of time. Now, I'm a history guy, so I've got to assimilate this. But it, nations are grouped into monarchs, dictatorships, elite authoritarianism, and other miscellaneous types of governments. God had established in his word at that point three institutions by man the family, civil government, and the church. He did this to bring order out of chaos. But through the millenniums after Israel, there had been no guiding light as to how government should work that would reflect the kingdom of God. Governments were institutions that generally brought their citizens into slavery. Do a history on it. Everyone worked for the sake of the king and his interests. But something happened in the heart of many who wanted to worship God freely without constraints and restraints, beginning about 500 years ago. They were tired of the 2,500 years of domination under the totalitarian rule of the divine right of kings. That's what it was called. And notice when I read out of Genesis, it never said domination. It said dominion. Domination is Satan, dominion is God. Whenever anyone wants to dominate you and demand that you do something, you know it's from Satan. So since the time of Samuel the prophet and 
1120 BC until the founding of this nation, the pagan idea of man and government had actually dominated the world scene. But a seed was planted in individuals and then in groups of people that they desired to see if it was possible for a Christian nation to be established. So I guess the question is, was America a Christian nation? Let me do a study for you here. Let me help blow your mind. The majority of our nation's principles, institutions, and people were Christian from the beginning of the colonies. In fact, they did a study during one, when there were three million people in America, 99.8% of them actually stated they were believers at one point. That wasn't always the case. Our founders all agreed that our nation was called a Christian republic. Our nation is not a democracy. Would you get that? When people say that, they're trying to convince you of something that's a lie. It is not a democracy. I mean, I can take you to all the founders, and they, they will always tell you they hated democracy because democracy led to mobocracy. They wanted a republic. Why a republic? Because a republic is based upon Christian principles of representative government. And I, man, I got so much, I, I can't tell you all this. A substantial majority had moved to America or to the continent here for the purpose of freedom of religion. The Christian worldview was the prevailing force in our society. I'm just taking some summary thoughts here. A seed was being planted from the pilgrims at Plymouth to the Puritans who followed that America might be a city set on a hill and become a shining light of Christianity to the entire world. That's what they believed America would become, and they planted the seed of that in the ground in Massachusetts. True historians will tell you that the very root and foundation of America and Western civilization was Christianity. All laws of a nation, now hear this, all laws of a nation are the codification of a presuppositional worldview. Some of you are, what was that again? Now, you got to hear that. All laws of a nation are the codification of a presuppositional worldview. If you go to India, you have a worldview of Hinduism. It's codified in their government. If you go to Japan, you will see a Buddhist presuppositional worldview. When you come to America, you should see a presuppositional Christian worldview. That's what it was in the very beginning. So the laws of the United States have presupposed from the beginning that the Bible was the foundation for our system. Christianity is responsible for many of the values and institutions even secular people cherish most. I wish I could take some of them and start telling them what really happened. I have some books that are just, just mind-boggling. Christianity is responsible for the way our society is organized and for the way we currently live. You take Christianity out, you have total chaos. Christianity deeply influenced our laws, our economics, our politics, our arts, our calendar, our holidays, and our moral and cultural priorities. And yet a lot of people want to remove Christianity. That's like sawing off the branch that you're standing on. So the founding ideas, please stay with me. I know some of you, oh, Pastor Ken, do you have to do this? Yes, I do. <laughs> you got to get this. The problem is, this is not being taught anywhere anymore. You got to understand this. I'm going to say some things that kind of crash against your, it's going to make you mad at me probably, but I'm going to say it anyway. You have to understand the founding ideas were, were religious freedom. That was the first one. Then we had self-government. Our whole government system is based upon self-government, not outside exterior government, internal government. The reason why America works right is because we have virtuous people who, who rule themselves internally, not externally, which means that we don't have all these laws put in place so we act right. No, we have an internal law of Jesus Christ in our lives so all of us can act right and be right. We have free enterprise. 
Now, you might say, well, what's that got? Free enterprise. I've heard of that, and I'm not sure. Everybody tells me it's not very good to have free enterprise or capitalism. Can I tell you, capitalism is right out of the Bible? I'm going to give a few examples, okay? So stay with me here. The system of modern capitalism rose in the West under Christianity. Capitalism developed so easily in conjunction with a Christian ethic, but capitalism satisfied the Christian demand for an institution that channels selfish human desire toward the betterment of society. Some critics accuse capitalism being a selfish system, but the selfishness is not in capitalism. It's in human nature. Adam Smith said this in The Wealth of Nations, the desire to better our condition comes with us from the womb. And never leaves us till we go to the grave. Selfishness like lust is part of the human condition. It is hopeless to try to root it out. Some zealous utopians have tried. Christianity came up with a much better solution. We often quote this scripture, money is the root of all evil. That's wrongly quoted. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. It's a condemnation of a certain human attitude to wealth. Not a condemnation of wealth capitalism, or commerce. The effect of capitalism is to steer human selfishness so that through the invisible hand of competition, the energies of the capitalist produce the abundance from which the whole society benefits. Moreover, capitalism encourages entrepreneurs to act with consideration for others, even when their ultimate motive is to benefit themselves. So while profit remains the final goal, entrepreneurs spend the better part of each day figuring out how better to serve the needs of their actual and potential customers. I should have wore my shirt. Capitalism today. I want, to, I want to address one more. We have, uh, well, let, let me get to this in a minute. We have freedom of speech, praise God. We're supposed to have freedom of speech. We have personal national liberty, and we have personal property, which I'm going to go to in a minute. But I first of all want to address this. There is a, there is a level of compassion in America that is not seen in anywhere else in the world. Let me illustrate this. Our culture in America has a powerful emphasis on compassion, on helping the needy, on alleviating distress, even in distant places. If there's a huge famine or reports of genocide in Africa, most people in other cultures are unconcerned. In fact, the Chinese proverb is this. The tears of strangers are only water. But here in the West, we rush to help. Massive relief programs are organized. And part of the reason why we do this is because of our Christian assumptions and Christian worldviews. Those people are human just like us. We must love them. They too deserve a chance to be free and happy. We should do what we can to improve their lot. The ancient Greeks and Romans, which were the other great historical cultures, did not believe this. Yes, that is a problem, they said, but it's not our problem. Ancient aristocrats funded baths, statues, and parks that prominently bore their names and testified to their family nobility and personal greatness. This is not the Christian view. We act out of compassion. They acted out of just magnanimity. Suffering with others is what compassion is. We help starving infants in Haiti and Rwanda, not because we're better than they are, but because we are, humanly speaking, all in the same boat. Christian humility is the very opposite of classical magnanimity. It was the Christian spirit of mutual love and communal charity that astonished and oppressed the pagans and the Romans. Professed admiration for the, for the way in which Christians looked after their poor, their widows and orphans and their sick and dying. Paradoxically, it seems, people who believe most strongly in the next world did the most to improve the situation of people living in this one. It was in the Western world in America where hospitals were begun. And I could go down the list. Are you still with me? I have just a few minutes. This is the seed. God planted the seed in some individuals and groups. And they began to water it. And from this came in 245 years this tree that we see. 
I want to address personal property for a minute. This is uh, um, Meg Helen, your mom, always promoted personal property. You know why? Because personal property is a biblical term in which we must understand. James Madison said this. He said, property in the former sense, a man's land or merchandise or money is called his property. In the latter sense, a man has a property in his opinions and the free communication of them. He has a property of peculiar value in his religious opinions and in the profession and practice dictated by them. He has an equal property in the free use of his faculties and free choice of the object on which to employ them. In a word, as a man is said to have right to his property, he may be equally said to have a property in his rights. Government is instituted to protect property of every sort. Conscience is the most sacred of all property. Today, government taxes property. Why? To remove it from you. Man has a property in his person. Man has a property in the free use of his faculties. Conscience is the most sacred of all property. Life, liberty, and property were spoken of as a single unit. That's why Thomas Jefferson said, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the broader sense of property. I actually like property better. Thomas, you should have put property in there. <laughs> the Declaration of Rights of the First Continental Congress said this, among the natural rights of the colonists are these, first a right to life, secondly to liberty, and thirdly to property, together with the right to support and defend them in the best manner they can. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm going around this thing, but I'm telling you that the, ten, the, first ten, the Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments to the Constitution are everything I've just said. And they all come from the Bible. I'll actually give you scripture and verse if you want. And let me just close this part by saying, then I want to just conclude. Our state governments and the federal government were built upon Christian principles that the founders derived from the study of their scriptures. I mean, I, I, did, I have notes here. Uh, there's a man by the name of Samuel Rutherford who was a Presbyterian ministry in, minister in Scotland. He wrote a book, Lex Rex, which said that law is king. Before that time, Rex Lex was in place, which is the king is law. And when he wrote the book, the, gover the governing, the king and all the government officials actually asked him to come in because they were going to execute him. On the way in, he died. God took him home, I guess. But from Samuel Rutherford's statement came John Witherspoon, who became the, the president of, of uh, Yale, I believe. And we see uh, 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 William Blackstone and others who actually started codifying law. William Blackstone actually wrote law books, and in the first part of the law book, he would write what it is to be a believer and write all the principles of God, the godly kingdom of God. In fact, Charles Finney came to know Jesus by reading William Blackstone's law books. We see this happening. So we have three pillars of our Constitution. With this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch and I'm going to end this in just a few minutes. We have, there's three pillars that we must understand. It's the pillar of representative system of government. Reverend Stiles, who was a great uh, pastor at the time of the uh, Constitution, the 1776, he said all the forms of civil polity have been tried by mankind except one, and that seems to have been reserved in providence to be realized in America. That wonder was a unique kind of republic, he said. Republics had existed in the past which were democratical, aristocratical, or monarchical which is the king. The founders presumed the men chosen for the republic would be godly men who would act from the highest motives. Because our system of representative government was created by godly men, it needs godly men to make it work. We must be wise and virtuous. We lose our virtue in America and we lose our liberty. We have unvirtuous people leading us. In too, many, in too many aspects. I'm not speaking politically. I, Republican Party, Democratic Party, I don't care what party. If you're anti-Christ, you're out of here. You, you need to be visited by God.
Then the second pillar was the pillar of separation of powers. They had to have a representative form of government, which actually is given in Deuteronomy chapter 1. The second pillar is separation of powers, meaning we have three branches of the government. And they keep everything in check. You know why they did all this? Because the founders knew that we had selfishness or had evil intent. We're all of Adam's race. And the only way to guard from evil is to have separated power. That's why all power people want to bring all the power under themselves. We're having a problem in our nation right now because they're not adhering to our founding father's principles. Uh, the separation of powers, Isaiah 33, 22, you can read it. And then the, the third pillar, which is the last pillar I'm going to deal with today, is the dual form of government. In other words, the states and the nation. And there was a process to getting all this. In other words, they said that which is not enumerated in the Constitution is reserved for the states. Now, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to kind of tread on some thin ice here. But there's so much in the Constitution that the federal government has taken over. You will not see any place in the Constitution where they give the authority for health care or give the authority for income tax as we see it. Or give, and I can go down the list. What are they saying? They're saying that the states should be the place of experiment. They always said this. So that the states would find out where people want to live. Have you noticed recently that people are leaving some states and going to other states? <laughs> How many of you are from California or New York or... Well, welcome. Welcome to paradise. Welcome to God's country. <laughs> I better stop. I better. <laughs> this, these three pillars, this last one is Matthew chapter 22. Now, let me conclude. Our nation has been a tree from a seed that has established the greatest amount of blessing and prosperity to the greatest amount of people. Listen to my radio program and you'll get more of this. This tree has provided hope and blessing for the whole world. But now we're under attack from anti-Christian forces. Communists, socialists, collectivists, atheists, all with the goal of upending the longest-lasting republic in world history that was from the seed of the Word of God. They love the, free, they love the fruit that the tree provides, but hate the seed in the tree. I don't... I, I actually feel sorry for him. I feel grieved for him. I saw this woman who was uh, in our Olympic trials on the podium. She put, she turned her back on the flag when the national anthem was played. You know, I'm, bless her heart, I, I, she just doesn't know. She's ignorant. She has been propagandized. She's been told lies. Can I tell you, socialism doesn't work. Socialism leads to communism. I'll just tell you right now, it's, it's all, oh God, I have so much to tell you. Where are you? Okay. Can you give me 10 minutes? Seven minutes? Okay. It's only one service today, and then we're going to go out and play and have fun. Okay, in socialist or and atheist or antichrist government control, the man's state is sovereign. The state is sovereign. We see also that the state, the man is dependent upon the state. It's all, it's all a ploy. It's all a, it's, it's moving away from God. See, here's what I say. I, I've talked to Winston, my partner in the radio program. Um, it, it's all in John 10, 10. God comes to give life and life more abundantly. But Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's just right there. 
Anytime you have lack of liberty and you are moving towards slavery or, so, slavery or someone demanding from you certain things, you are moving away from Christianity and true self-government. In, in their way of thinking, the state is sovereign, man is dependent upon the state, human, lives are, human laws are coercive, demanding. You have to do this. Institutions are self-destructing. The gospel is being persecuted. And lastly, it leads to anarchy and tyranny. It's automatic. And that's where we're at today. But what I'm saying, I'm, I want to conclude by saying this. After 245 years, our tree is showing its age. It's dying in some parts. We got to rise. We once again have to lift up the words of God that will once again strengthen this tree. We have to start teaching our children and our grandchildren. I get the privilege of teaching my grandchildren. We're living right now under the tree of the seed spoken into existence by the word of God, establishing a nation that would be a Christian republic. What are we going to do about it? Well, let me tell you what one man did. I'm going to read part of what he has to say, and then I'll conclude. This is a black American, African-American. I'm going to tell you who he is when I get done. I'm going to he wrote a letter to all of us in America. He addressed it particularly to the African-American community. And he said this, we're being lied to and set up. The mainstream media, politicians, social justice activists, perhaps even your church pastor, not here, <laughs> have led you to believe America is in the midst of a racial conflict similar to the Civil War and the Civil Rights Movement. They have pitted us against the Proud Boys, the KKK, rural militia groups. Uh, it goes on. And I'm not going to read everything he says. It's a setup. We're being used as decoys and distractions in a war that has nothing to do with race. The real war, hear me out, I just think he nailed this. The real war is about global power and the future of America's system of government. This country's elite, global citizens and corporations prefer communism over capitalism and democracy because inside they know it's from God. They prefer China's system over our system. America has been the world's leader in racial progress and fairness. The mainstream media are not allowed to explain this to you. Advertisers such as major corporations will no longer support media outlets that back our current democratic and capitalistic systems of governance. The fake race war that the mainstream media have promoted is a tool being used to convince you and non-black Americans that our system of government has been a giant failure. They want you to believe that a great reset is necessary to achieve fairness. In other words, cut the tree down. The reset is communism. I mean, he's just telling you. Which starts with the gateway drug of socialism and ends in full-blown Marxism. China is run by the Communist Chinese Party. Communism has no respect for individual freedom or religion of any kind. Communism has no tolerance for a political dissent. Your religion, free speech, will not survive the reset. Communism is racial oppression's best friend. When a nation is stripped of religious faith and free speech, few people have the courage to defend the rights of minorities. The elites cozying up to China do not care about you. They are aware of how despicably China treats black people and all minority people. They are aware of how China squashes dissent. He goes on and says, I don't play for any political team. I go wherever I believe I can speak, follow, and write the truth. And the truth I believe the most is that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. He goes on. I'll give you his name in the end. You can actually read his whole letter if you want. He goes on and says, I believe Jesus is under attack. The tree. The tree. You can't defend Jesus at corporate media outlets. Advertisers won't allow it. You can discuss the religion of racism every day at ESPN, CNN, MSNBC, even Fox Sports, but it's taboo to discuss the cure for racism. 
Jesus on those platforms. I love this guy. My faith won't allow me to jump on board with this lunacy, racism, and sacrilege of Black Lives Matter, a movement founded by three lesbian, self-admitted, trained Marxists. Now, stay with me. BLM is an atheist movement in support of LGBTQ issues and the reshaping of America into a communist country. BLM is part of the deception. Black people tell me all the time, well, I don't support the BLM organization, but I support the slogan and sentiment. Let me translate that. You despise the devil's tree, but love the fruit it produces. We have to stop letting everyone use us, for we're being played. We're all being played. Black and white, working class people, it's all a giant setup. We black people have been convinced the crushing of working class white people is good for us. It's not. Working class white people, Christian white people are our true allies, not the elites. We can't see that because of the made-for-TV hyper-focus on racial conflict. It's all a massive setup. And he ends with this. There's a reason black and brown people across the globe fight to get into this country and excel when they do. They love the American tree and the fruit it produces. His name is Jason Whitlock. He's a sports commentator who has just recently gone to Blaze Media because he couldn't do it on Fox Sports, ESPN. He couldn't tell the truth. Um, what a good letter. In this church, in this church, we believe in complete diversity because the Bible is complete diversity. We believe in yellow, black, white, brown. In fact, the more diverse we are, the more we're going to be like heaven. For every tribe, every tongue, every kindred, we'll all be there. And that's what America was made to be. So what are we going to do about it? You need to start planting seeds. You need to start writing letters. You need to make your voice. You need to teach your children, your grandchildren. You need to get voted onto boards. You need to, you need to show your influence in our culture. You know why we're here? Because Christians went to sleep. We dozed. While according to the parable, the enemy sowed tares among the wheat. We've got to take it back. We can do it. We're not done. All right. I hope you got something from this. I, uh, I think half my library is these kind of books. Father, we, we pray for our nation. We come to you in humble adoration, knowing that you planted a seed hundreds of years ago. And that seed, after being watered and it germinated into this magnificent tree entitled the United States of America, Lord, we pray that there would be a renewed emergence of godly people that would say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God and we're going to see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our nation. I pray right now that there would be a, a new understanding of the, of the assault that's being waged against us. This is not assault of political means. It's an assault of evil. It comes from all sources 
But Lord, we know that a little seed can destroy the works of darkness when planted and watered, nurtured. Lord, as you put Adam in a garden, you have put us in our garden. Our garden is our nation. And I pray, Lord, we begin to do what is necessary to see the great fruit come from our tree. Let it once again be a fruit of righteousness. Let it once again be a tree of justice and of true holiness and salvation. Lord, turn our hearts to you, the living God. We repent, Lord, for backing off. We repent for believing lies. We repent for not doing our part of occupying until you come. We ask, Lord, that you would do a work in America that everyone would step back and say, look what God has done. Do it, Lord. Send a wind from heaven. Send water to water the tree. Raise up heroes. Raise up virtuous people that will say, we're going to serve our nation. And let the proclamation of liberty be heard from coast to coast and border to border. Liberty from Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father. We pray grace, grace over all of us. And I pray for Idaho. I pray Idaho would continue to be the gem state. And Lord, you would, you would cause a revival to emerge out of this land. Lord, as we see, in a sense, we see refugees coming from all over the nation. Lord, let us be a house of refuge. Let us raise up a standard of righteousness. And let this valley be the treasure valley in our gem state. Lord, we're grateful. And we thank you for your goodness to our nation. We pray that you would raise up leaders now that would take office, that would be godly, God-fearing, and would root out all evil. We pray this in Jesus' name. With every head bowed, just one more question. Is there anyone here today, you came to church today, but your relationship with Christ isn't where it should be? Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe he hasn't planted his seed in your life. But today you want that. If that's you, just lift your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Just lift your hand. I see one. I see two, three. Keep your hand up. Four, five, six. Anyone else? Seven. Eight. Yes. You may put your hands down. Just pray this prayer with me right now. Everyone in the house. Dear Father, I receive you into my life. Bring me liberty and bring me truth. Let the seed of your word be planted in my life and let great fruitfulness come. Cleanse me by your blood. Make me brand new. I commit myself and my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. What a better day to do that than the 4th of July. Now, you know what I think we should do? I think you should give a hand to God and the nation for God to plan. No, no, you no, 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 no. You got to stand on this one. And I want you to give a clap like never before to God for his faithfulness in establishing a Christian republic. Can you do that right now? Yes! Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.